Time is counting down. For years, the end times have been blaring out of the television and radio. But today you sit with a cold drink in your hand, surrounded by an even mixture of strangers and friends. All of you trying to pretend nothing is different. Every minute closer to midnight fills you with excitement and dread. Wouldn't it be funny if nothing happened? How bad is it going to be? Any moment now, we will know whether we will all live or die. You almost wish it would just happen already. Ten. You really should call your mom. You know, just to tell her you love her. Nine. Did I feed the cat? Is it going to matter? Eight. This is nothing. It's stupid. Calm down. Seven. Maybe I should just go kiss that person over there. Don't want to die single. Six. Shut up. You're not going to die. People are making a big deal out of nothing. Five. But I really wanted to travel. Four. Wait, I have so much to live for. Wait, wait, wait. Three. I'll never make it home in time. Two. Why did they come to the stupid party? One. Welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. Hello, my little undead fishies, and welcome <laughs> to another fun-filled episode of Zombie Fishbowl. <laughs> I was hypnotized. Good. Yes. You're counting down from ten. You didn't expect me to go into some kind of trance. <laughs> oh, I'm glad it was effective. That's all I asked. <laughs> I'm still snapping out of it. I'm also confused because I thought I was emceeing this episode. Oh shit! No. <laughs> oh, did I fuck it up? I'm I not sure. Because I, I thought reincarnation was yours. Oh, that's Jeez. right. Because I did like nothing for it. Shit. I'm sorry. It's okay. That was way better than mine, where it literally just goes, hello. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just save it for another episode. It, oh, it's a joke is. that it's a joke that can be used again. It's not it's not Y2K specific. Okay, cool. Sorry, I panicked and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. Usually, the person who does the background doesn't MC, or else they'll get sick of the sound of their own voice. Oh, fair enough. See, I never get sick of my own voice. Oh, that's true. <laughs> she doesn't. No, I don't. <laughs> well, you lead us on in this bit, and then I'll do the, the thing. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Do you have any updates? Um, My only update is basically, uh, you know, I've just been really emotionally and physically exhausted lately. Um, and I think that's probably, we both sort of have been, and that's kind of why our episodes have been delayed. Um, but I don't think it's going to get any worse. I think we're, we'll, we'll get better from here on, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just not a mild apology on uh, <laughs> behalf of us being, you know, kind of sporadic with our episodes. Yeah. And let's also remember that my uni has just started. So this is kind of ties into my update. So my fourth year started this week. So... I will eventually be very, very busy. In fact, quite quickly, very, very busy because I have a deadline before Christmas, which is a bit fucked up if you ask me. But, you know, responsibilities. I don't know why I made yeah. that voice. It was awful. I won't ever I make that it. voice ever again. I thought it was great. <laughs> Terrible. But yeah, so right on the tails of your thing there, like sort of not necessarily apologizing for it, but kind of explaining what we've been doing. Yeah. Basically, we just kind of, you know, treat this as a treat. And it's if it starts to feel like it's um, the pressure's on, we kind of take the pressure off for a couple of days and then come back because that's not what this is about. So that's kind exactly. of how it is. We just like to make sure that we're baking properly. 
Exactly. Um, and there is um, a high likelihood that there will be inconsistent releases as we move forward. Yes. <laughs> you get them when you get them. And we thank you for being patient with us and apologize if any of you are sitting there stewing and raging. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. I'm really sorry, and I appreciate your passion, but do you think you might have other underlying issues? <laughs> or, you know, like, you can always message us, light a fire under our asses. That that always kind of helps sometimes, too. 100%. If we were delaying on uh, recording one just because we were being, you know... Lazy. Lazy. Or we were busy, and we weren't making time, and then someone messaged us, I miss you guys, I want another episode. I would be like, I bitch, I will drop everything, and <laughs> yeah. I will finish this episode for you. Exactly. I have <laughs> devoted the next 12 hours of my life to putting together the most perfect episode for you. Yes. This is why I'm in therapy, but <laughs> take advantage while I'm still fucked up, alright? Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I need external validation please yes <laughs> okay let's see that's a good update because it's it's kind of a purge at the same time yeah absolutely oh. um did something just fly in uh something made a noise it's probably just demons it's fine oh okay as you do as we yeah. do yeah do you have a purge um what was my purge um <sighs> can I just purge about the world? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, but I, I'm really, really resisting from talking about this because I, one of the things I've learned in therapy is that I don't communicate my feelings properly when I'm still really emotional about something. Yeah. And um, I can say things that I don't mean and I can also be wildly misinterpreted because my words are all over the place on tone. Yeah. So I don't want to talk about the big thing that's happened today and the thing that's yeah. happened until I've had time to absorb a bit of um, other people's reactions to gauge how other people are reacting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also sit with it myself and see how I feel about it and logic it out and then have something very articulate and meaningful to say when I've had to think about it. Yeah. I'm I'm personally just just really I'm so angry I'm so angry not even just about this but uh, other things as well so I'm just gonna take a moment and metaphorically pour one out for RBG um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg who who passed away and uh, yeah we'll see how that goes so I'm I'm trying I'm trying not to lose all hope. Um, I'm trying to remain optimistic and in all of this rage I am so grateful that me and you were able to sync up with Deep Space Nine because <laughs> that really really helped <laughs> to just lighten my spirits a little bit <laughs> she's been waiting for us for about six months <laughs> yeah I, I dove head head first real deep into deep space nine and just like flew past danielle um so i stopped and i'm all like i'm gonna wait for her to catch up not realizing that i was halfway through the last season when i stopped so you know but we're here we're doing it together and i'm excited that's um um that was quite an emotional roller coaster we've just been on there melanie 
welcome to my brain. Jesus. Anyone actually emotionally invested in the words that we're speaking has just been on fucking journey. <laughs> it's a ride. It's a ride over here. I'm not even going to add what I was going to purge because I feel like that would just be too much. Too much. And I was going to say something in um in response to something that you said and I'm so shook by the end of the ride that I can't remember what it was. I'm sure I'll remember later, but All right, let us let us breathe in the joy that we get in spending times with our friends, even if it's just digitally, to to sort of lighten the mood when everything else feels so dark. And let's breathe out all the fucking dark that's going on right now. Yeah? All right. One, two, three. I feel like I could breathe out a few more times, but that's okay. Still feels good. I'm sure we're going to sigh a lot in this episode. Um... I remembered what I was going to say now, which was um, this episode is probably not great for a bad mood, but we'll try- <laughs> we we will endeavor to m- make it as amusing as possible. But I'm just warning you, I kind of I personally get a bit um, uh, preachy towards the end of my bit um, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Ah, this nice. week's episode is Y2K, I, aka yes. the Millennium Bug. The computer error which threatened to detonate nuclear bombs, cause planes to fall from the sky, stop prescribing vital medication, and bring about the end of the world as we know it. If you weren't partying with Prince, you were probably panicking like it was 1999. Yeah. yeah. But why is that, Melanie? All right, so... Like you mentioned, our topic is Y2K. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The computer bug that almost wiped out the entire planet and life as we knew it, or, you know, it already happened, so we're fine. But um, it is with great horror I realize that there are more than a few people listening to this show that may not have even been born uh, before Y2K, before Mm. the year 2000, and may not even be aware of what it is. I shall explain as best I can, but please keep in mind that I am barely a tech-savvy individual, and computer jargon bores and confuses me. So this is my attempt at explaining what is basically an entirely computer-centered topic. So, Mm. basically up until the year 2000, storing data was an expensive process. On both mainframe computers and later personal computers, storage was as low as $10 per kilobyte and up to as much as $100 per kilobyte. So to save money and data, calendar dates were entered as a two-digit number with a set prefix of 19. So, for example, I was born in the year 1986, so to enter that data, we would just use the numbers 96, or 86, 72, 43, 86. Sorry. I'm, like, frazzled. So we still kind of do this today, but we have systems in place to understand whether the first two digits are 19 or 20. Y2K, the Millennium Bug, or the Year 2000 Bug was basically the problem that every single computer in the world would face when the computer data went from 99 to 00. The big fear being that when the computers rolled over to zero zero, it would read as 1900 or 1900 or even worse, year zero and completely reset the system or just crash computers completely in an overload of confusion. 
The first person to uh, first person known to publicly address this issue was Bob Beamer, who had noticed in 1958 as a result of a work on a gene genealogical software. He spent the next 20 years trying to make programmers, IBM, the government of the United States, and the ISO aware of the problem, but nobody cared. They just sort of discredited it, or they didn't think it was important. Um, he also recommended that the, the COBOL picture clause should be used to specify four-digit years for dates. Now, COBOL picture clause, uh, COBOL is the Computer Operations Bibliotech Olive leaf i'm not sure i don't know computer stuff <laughs> at all um but it was basically the uh program set to hold on my brain it's it's a a program or like a guide on how computers should work and he said that there needed to be a clause for four digit year data entry in the 1980s, the brokerage industry began to address this issue, mostly because of bonds with maturity dates beyond the year 2000. In 1987, the New York Stock Exchange had reportedly, reportedly spent over $20 million, including a team of 100 programmers, on the Y2K bug. Now, despite magazine articles on the subject from 1970 onward, the majority of programmers and managers only started recognizing Y2K as a looming problem in the mid-1990s and didn't even really do much about it until around 1998. So as every country rushed to fix, update, and reconfigure their systems to accommodate this issue and billions of dollars, pounds, yen, whatever, were spent, the news station seemed to fuel this environment of fear. The fact of the matter was that it was actually being handled, and it was actually being handled fairly well. Starting with the governments and high-ups and trickling down to the average Joe, one by one, systems were getting resolved. But it didn't stop people from being scared. Governments produced video war videos warning the people to update their systems. Best Buy was covered in signs telling people to turn off their computers and software and any kind of gadget that had any sort of data on it to turn it off before midnight of <clears throat> uh, the year 2000. Um, Leonard Nimoy even had an hour-long video called Y2K Family Survival Guide. I watched it. That was something. Wow. Yeah. Panic buying ensued. Food, gas, water, survival gear, loads of gun, people hoarding water like it was going out of style. Mm -hmm. Much like the doomsday prepping of our current predicament with the coronavirus, people were overloading on stuff they ultimately would not need. Y2K was also exploited by some fundamentalists and charismatic Christian leaders throughout the Western world, particularly in North America and Australia. Their promotion of the perceived risks of Y2K was combined with end times thinking and apocalyptic prophecies in an attempt to influence followers. They ended up getting so much money just talking people into, you know, buying their doomsday services or paying for their way to heaven. Mm. Um, so toss the media panic, government officials trying to prep and warn you every day, and your own faith leaders stirring the pot, it genuinely seemed like a terrifying time. Ultimately, nothing happened. Planes stayed aloft, and with the exception of minor power failures here and there, the year passed without incident. So much work was put into computer systems because of this bug it ended up being actually a very good thing, mostly because suddenly everyone got the updates that they so desperately needed. People that would have put it off for decades and forever, were it was now mandatory. They had to solve it. So that's my summary. And there are so many details in this that I'm, but I'm confident they'll come up as we move through this and have conversations. So Danielle, what you got? Well, um, 
I wouldn't say that it's entirely true that nothing happened because that sort of depends on who you talk to and I have some pretty um shocking exceptions to the nothing happened rule uh, yeah, got, that people might not a, know about I've got a few as well <laughs> not no no not not funny ones like oh. bad ones but I will get into that um, with mine I think I should go first because um, mine's kind of depressing and um, yours are hopefully a little bit more light-hearted and, and can bring us back up again crazy short mine's like a page long so yeah okay well uh, prepare for the uh, fucking virtue signaling that's going to come out of my mouth right now but you know <laughs> oh well unapologetically <laughs> me anyway um <laughs> Um, I don't either want to bore you with a summary of a paper on how IT firms worked to solve this problem. Um, there are numerous complex technical issues that they had to overcome in order to succeed in limiting the impact of the bug on the world. So instead, I want to talk to you about the taste, the whole Y2K millennium bug plava left in the collective mouths of the general public and yeah. how history is repeating itself. So I'm going to build up a context. And you're going to see where I'm going and then I'm going to fucking drive it home and then everyone's going to get depressed. That's, that's the aim, right? Hi. <laughs> The efforts of thousands of IT workers were largely ignored and the reality of the whole situation was manipulated into a grand old myth that the bug was a hoax, that it was a money grab for IT companies, which no doubt was the case in some instances, and that it is a perfect example of how so-called experts are not to be trusted. Relatively recently, the Y2K bug was used as an allegory of a whole lot of fuss over nothing during the Brexit debates. So Bernard Jenkins MP <laughs> compared it to what he believes are exaggerated fears about a no-deal Brexit. He told BBC Radio 4's Today programme in August of 2018, we will look back and wonder what all the fuss was about, a bit like the Millennium bug. Remember all the experts on the Millennium bug? Huh, that's interesting. Anyway, mm. was it a storm in a teacup? No, no, it wasn't. The Millennium Bug was real, and the yeah. internationally coordinated effort was a great success. Tens of thousands of failures were prevented. Yes, some suppliers took advantage and sold unnecessary upgrades to the customer. That is inevitable in a capitalist system. And yes, like Melanie says, a lot of churches made a lot of money doomsdaying it for everybody. And that's inevitable in a capitalist system. But those people who worked days, nights, weekends to meet the hard deadline of December 1999 were angered and just ugh, when ignorant people that think they know better assumed that the threat wasn't serious because nothing happened to them. IT experts recall their work in the late 1990s. Quote, I spent months during 1998-99 checking and fixing software to make sure that radio systems for emergency services, etc. didn't fail, said Peter West. Francis Coppola, not that one, who was working <laughs> for an insurance company running teams of analysts and programmers, said, we found bugs and we fixed them. It's because we did such a good job that people who weren't involved think there was never a problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I meant to say that it, it meant to enter that. No, it's okay. We're saying it now. Yeah. Uh, Richard Gaywood, who worked as an intern on Y2K testing in the nuclear industry for three summers, said, we tested every scrap of software we had. I personally spent weeks and weeks on just one of them. I didn't find bugs, but my colleagues did. They were fixed in good time. James Christie, who was working as a test manager for IBM, at, in, uh, which uh, is obviously an insurance company. I think it's Britain's biggest insurance company quote i wrote a report warning that without remedial y2k work the company couldn't produce credible accounts that would pass the annual audit the share price would have crashed i was believed so that's not some guy that like gave this presentation to the ibm bosses who went that guy doesn't know what he's talking about they all went holy shit we need to fix this and they did Matthew Hackling said, I climbed through the roof spaces of maximum security prisons during uh, doing inventory of programmable logic controllers for Y2K. 80% of systems worked fine. 15% date rolled over to the 1970s, which is bad. 3% failed, which is bad. And 2% catastrophically any percent catastrophically is a disaster. Can we just yeah. put that right there? Yeah. Right. So that all said, there are minimal examples from within the field who thought the whole thing was exaggerated. And in the spirit of balance, I'll include one. IT consultant from the city, John McGregor, thought the introduction of the euro had been a much bigger problem. He said the Millennium Bug was largely a myth. Everything was checked. Only a tiny proportion of very badly written software had an issue. End quote. That's John. Well, I think they found that it was like they without in, without any kind of um, uh, yeah repair work going actually into it. There could have been upwards of thirteen percent of all the computer uh, computers of the world would have failed miserably like horribly with terrible terrible results i didn't come across any sort of um projection percentages in my research so i wouldn't know how many would have actually catastrophically failed but i have a feeling that even if it was just one percent um that's pretty bad <laughs> you know yeah. that's it's pretty bad um you don't want a single nuclear plant and we'll get to that in a minute <laughs> i just also want to say um also, in the spirit of balance, it's important to note that many of the people involved with the Y2K made a great deal of money from the Y2K preparations, and you would not expect them to look back and reflect that their employers had bought into a myth. So there might be some recollection bias there as well and uh, things working against us in terms of those anecdotes. Mm -hmm. But, I mean... I think that would be a very small percentage of people. And it's, but it's just important to note that when I'm using quotes from people, that there's there's an agenda behind everything that everyone says. Um, but the stats don't lie. And the stats are uh, looking even, uh, had they not done anything, what was it? Um, like in the security in prisons, 2% would have failed catastrophically. So yeah, that's bad. pretty significant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but whatever the true scale of the threat, it seems clear that 
uh, doing nothing about the millennium bug in the late 1990s was not an option that industry just dependent on the smooth running of computer systems could afford to take. So after all that prep and all that money, did, I, did anything go wrong? Yes, actually. Um, but no, for the most part, 99% of people went through that transition and felt nothing on the other end. But there are some pretty shocking things that happened. Uh, some are trivial and amusing, like um, a 104-year-old woman inviting her to join kindergarten. And a New York video store um, customer receiving a bill for $91,250 for renting the general's daughter for 100 days. 100 years. 100 years, sorry. 100 days, yeah. 100 years. I've got that one. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, no, it's all good. Uh, there'll be more. Anyway. But uh, actual serious shit happened, too. Many credit card systems and cash points failed. Some customers received a bill for 100 years worth of interest, while others were briefly rich for the same reason. 15 nuclear reactors shut down. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah. Now, non-catastrophic, no catastrophic error, but they shut down. Uh-huh. The oil pumping station servicing Istanbul failed, which cut off supplies to the city. So there was no oil going to Istanbul. I guess they need the the, the black gold in Istanbul. Yeah, they need their oil. <laughs> there were power cuts in Hawaii and government computers failed in China and Hong Kong. Now, the one that's, I think, the most significant is one here in the UK. Um, a serious problem was recognised only when a health visitor in New Yorkshire noticed an unusual number of babies being born with Down syndrome. More than 150 pregnant women were given the wrong results from tests because the computer system that was used in nine hospitals calculated the woman's date of birth incorrectly. It had worked perfectly for the previous decade. The result was that women who should have been identified as being in a high-risk category were wrongly told that they did not need further testing. So... Um, 150 women had pregnancies that resulted in the child being born with Down syndrome. And we don't know how many of those might have been um, healthier um, uh, pregnancy had they known that they needed to be uh, more careful. I can add to that, actually. Um, there were also, hold on, let me find my note here. There were also 154 women who were told that their children did have Down syndrome when they did not, resulting in at least two abortions because of that. Yeah, I wanted to be careful about saying that being born with Down syndrome was a bad thing. And I wanted no. to be clear that I wasn't going to say the sentence we don't know how many of those pregnancies they may have prevented no it wouldn't have been prevented it would have been better cared for and it would have been prepared for um afterwards um I think that to to find out that people who thought they had children with down syndrome that two of them would have an abortion is very telling 
um, and very sad. Um, that is really sad that two people yeah. thought that it would be better to abort. Now, there's also the possibility that they might have had an abortion anyway. It, it is possible. Um, but yeah, it, you know, there's there's something to be said about that, though. You know, it's it's a pretty shocking fact that that happened. Yeah. But we can't possibly know the full story. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, to I'm not out. here to hate, hate on the moms, the parents. For no, no, no. I'm trying to pick out something positive that we could possibly take from that in terms of like, no, but it didn't necessarily mean that they did it because the child had Down syndrome. <laughs> um. There, there may, there's hope <laughs> that they yeah. want something like that. Um, because I find, you know, that's all I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to like um, knock your stat. Um, I was just just really trying to find something nice. Uh, because yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm about to get even. Yeah, I'm about to go down my road. <laughs> so, oh, right. A whole lot of people put a whole lot of effort, time, and money into preventing as much chaos as possible which they largely succeeded in doing. Yet there were still major IT failures experienced. And now you might also think there might be stuff that we don't even realize was affected by the Y2K bug. Um, Because apparently nothing happened and nobody looked into it and no one noticed anything. The whole thing was just a hoax and it was a whole lot of fuss over nothing. This was the takeaway. That was the narrative. Yeah. Never mind the fact that no planes crashed because there were no planes flying. And that actually, yes, nuclear plants did experience shutdown, but none of them exploded. So everything is honky-dory. So what's the point? What should we take from this? There's a quote at the end of one of the articles I cut up to bring you my bit. It's about looking at all the work put in to prevent similar events. It's a retrospective. So is it sensible advice about a mythical danger or reckless complacency? You decide. And this is where I make my point. I say, no, you don't get to decide because most of you are, in the nicest way possible, idiots. You you don't know the facts. You don't know the full story. You need to start trusting experts again, even if they say things you don't like. So here's where I'm going with this. Yeah, and where... even if it doesn't affect you directly. Yes, exactly. So this is where I'm going to write, okay, wear your fucking masks, wash your fucking hands, keep a fucking distance, and don't gather in fucking groups. This is the exact same thing. You think that there's no virus? There most definitely is. Just like there was a millennium bug. The same circumstances are coming together here. A vast amount of information about a threat. A shit ton of people who know better than you telling you what to do. The government failing to back up those people. Armchair academics spouting half-cooked, badly researched counter-arguments. People who are actually frontline. In the 90s it was IT staff, now it's doctors and nurses. Being simultaneously applauded and contradicted. Political spin, media bias, mass hysteria, contradictory statistics... 
and above all, the success of the mass amount of work being done to curb the trends, to treat the sick, to prevent the spread is being used as proof it doesn't exist. If we can't learn from shit that happened in our own lifetime to us and around us, how the hell can we be expected to learn from shit that happened before we were born? History is doomed to repeat itself because we never fucking learn. It's happening with COVID. It's happening with Black Lives Matter. It's happening at borders. It's happening with women's rights. I mean, I could go on and you wonder why I'm a pessimist. Prove me wrong, please. I can't wait to eat my words when the world comes to its senses. But right now I'm not feeling very optimistic. So that's me, ever a beacon of joy and positivity. <laughs> Yeah. So it was in researching for this episode that I realized that this is the exact same situation. Yeah. Except except that this time people are actually dying. Yeah. Um but it's the same psychological condition, the cognitive dissidence, the correlation is not causation but believing that it is, you know, confirmation bias. Um, yeah. hysteria people um, being brainwashed by people that speak their language half the time and so because they speak their language half of the time the other half of the time when they're feeding their minds with bullshit they just eat it up because he supports the same football team as me and I don't know how to make it stop yeah yeah this is why I always say that I would be a very terrible president or, you know, queen or just ruler in general because I got no patience for bullshit and mm-hmm. people who can't, um, you know, use their brains. Uh, because, yeah, if it were up to me, I'd just be like, okay, no, y'all, y'all are fucking just locked in. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. no, I'd, I'd be enforcing some pretty heavy rules. But this is why I'm not in charge because I know I would be a dictator. A dictator for good. <laughs> mm, yeah for good things it's still totalitarianism whether oh, or not totally. your motives are <laughs> totally i know this i'm well aware i've got whole plans for like you know dinosaurs to wipe out portions of you know civilization but you know that's just that's just me and my mind my mind cave as a terrible terrible person no that's right that's right yeah i've been imagining some fucked up shit myself don't, don't yeah. worry um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking because when things go well, it just proves that it's not a danger, and that's just not how it works. Like they're gonna use it with climate change as well. Oh yeah, yeah. So, oh, it's a myth. It's a myth. It's a myth. And then when nothing does happen because people do save the planet, if we do, then people will be like, "See, it was all just a whole lot of us all for nothing." There's nothing Never to worry mind. about. Never mind that our entire way of life has changed and that millions and millions of people are being displaced from their homes and had to settle somewhere else and all this other shit. It's just... That's why I said people are idiots in the nicest way possible. I mean, Mm -hmm. even I'm an idiot in in terms of understanding statistics about everything. I can't possibly understand everything, so that's why I have to trust experts sometimes. I don't understand things that I'm not an expert in. And the moment you realize that you are not as intelligent as you think you are, you're sort of liberated because it's not your responsibility anymore. Yeah. Just just, just for everybody who's listening right now, 
it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to not know things. It's okay to not know things. You know, it's the greatest thing you can do in this world is to learn things <laughs> and, and to, to trust science. <laughs> you trust the person that knows what they're talking about. I mean, I remember when, when Y2K was, when Y2K was happening, I, I was kind of scared. I was, I didn't understand a lot of it. I was still like, you know, early teen, it was like preteen mm-hmm. roughly. Um, all I knew was that, you know, maybe the world would explode and it was all because of computers. Like what's going, I don't understand. Nobody was really explaining it to me. Um, fuck, I didn't watch the news, you know? Uh, so I just kind of knew that there was this sort of environment of fear and panic going on but i knew that the computers were made by people way smarter than me to be smarter than them and i knew that people were working on them so the chances of this being a problem were slim but there was still like when 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 the new year happened and nobody died i was just like oh thank god oh thank god yeah because there there was that moment i was like oh fuck 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 oh good we're live I knew those computers were going to be okay. Well, I definitely remember um, not understanding the true context and like the, the the proper weight of the problem because there wasn't any way for me to know how much of the world was run by computers at the you know age of thirteen. I think that my overall feeling of how I felt was more along the lines of I thought the internet was going to crash, so I thought we were going to like lose the internet and. Uh, so when nothing happened on the TV, that I wasn't surprised by that because it was the internet that was going to be a problem, not realising that by that point, televisions are broadcast using digital technology and had the computers crashed, the telly would have gone off. I was yeah. still thinking it was aerial systems, um, but it was definitely cable. It's just totally different. Um, so retrospectively I can say to the little 13 year old me of course the telly's not going to turn off that's a different you know well sorry uh, uh, um sorry if I could tell 13 year old me no if if the internet crashes everything would would crash yeah if the the tv turned off we'd know something was happening yeah 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 so um and I think I remember waiting with my I was at my nan's house um in the states and I, re- I think I remember waiting that everyone waited for about an hour watching the news to see if anything came in because it was obviously not going to be something that we would know instantly. Um, there may be stuff sort of filtering in on the news. And I don't remember there being anything significant reported in that first hour or so. Um, I just went to bed. I was 13. It was one o'clock in the morning. I wasn't at a fun um, millennium party. I was at my nan's house. Like, yeah. My conservative cowboy nan, like, well, her <laughs> husband was a cowboy and she, you know, so it was not fun. It yeah. was not a fun night. And so I just went to bed. Um, There was cinnamon rolls. I do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll let them off. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't even remember much of it. Cause, yeah, I was 14. At, yeah, I was 14 at the time. So I, I, I wasn't paying attention. You, you would have been turning 14 in that January. No, oh, yeah, you know, you yeah, would have 14. turned 14 that January. Are yeah. you sure? Yeah, I was born in 86, yeah. Yeah, me too, but September 86. 
So 1999 to 2000, we would have been 13, both of us. And then you would have turned 14 in January. You're right. And then you're right, I would turn, right. yeah. But you were pra- right. you're practically 14. Like almost 14. You're like, like, it's like practically the same like thing. Two weeks away. It's just like, like two weeks away, whatever. I might as well. Just like. <laughs> I was like 30. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't remember much. I It must have been just at my house drinking sparkling apple cider with my family. And. I, I, I didn't, again, I didn't have that huge fear, but I'm just, I'm looking in my mom's eyes and I'm looking in my stepdad's eyes. I'm like, how scared are you guys? How scared should I be? <laughs> I don't know. And that was one of the things that was us uh, a takeaway from that and, it, and a takeaway from the current situation here is how it affected children. There were so many kids that were genuinely really fucking scared at yeah. Y2K um, and now have that, that just like, crippling anxiety because of it the amount of kids that are not in families or households that can really smooth them through this whole coronavirus are probably going to grow up just really really kind of messed up by this um um, because what uk was only a day this is this is like going on a year it's going to go on for probably another year past this and it's it's a whole shift and vital shift in the way we live um yeah the the how we grow from here is going to be really interesting yeah um i think that people that went through the y2k phenom um who were left traumatized will have been left traumatized for the wrong reasons as well because they won't really have heard the narrative about how so many people worked really hard and stopped it from being really bad and that you can still trust experts but what you need to do is to be skeptical of media exactly the media because what happened here is exactly the same as what happened what's happening now is that the the media itself is sort of hyping everything and and i say media and i hate using that term there's very particular types of media that i'm talking about and they are the really extreme uh sort of political uh media outlets we don't have anything but that here um i think you might find things digitally <laughs> like on the internet that's a little bit more stable but yeah, that's, no... what, that's what i have to do but if you're if you don't actively seek out news that isn't sensationalized yeah uh liberal conservative both just are just so it's loud loud yeah yeah um and they all have their own um narrative and that's what we that's that's what you need to be wary of not the experts that are fixing things so the they do they've done a really good job of changing the focus and the blame and the sort of um the fear to experts and off themselves uh it's diabolical and it's they've perfected it and even mm, relatively neutral news outlets can very easily fall into um, basically built-in cognitive biases. So it's impossible to be totally objective. It really is. You You can only see the world through your own eyes. So bias is inevitable. And that is a philosophical concept that I will fight you over that is it's an anthropological fact in terms of 
observing behavior in other cultures you have to understand that your bias your point of view is impossible to um not see through to shake off yeah you are and you have to try your best so the reason i'm saying this is because um uh, there was a reason (laughs) Uh, it's gone (laughs) can i just interject real quick because this conversation though it may be jarring for some people because it is a bit more on the political uh, side um no, no 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 But what I love about this is this is exactly like the conversations that we had before we were doing our podcast. Like Mm. we would just sit and Skype each other for hours talking politics and psychology and stuff like that. And this is why we decided to do what we do in the first place, just because we love bouncing this kind of conversation off of each other. And I'm just, I'm, I'm here for it, man. I'm loving it. (laughs) Okay. That's good. (laughs) Um, hey, I take a positive where I can find it. Right? No, no, it's good. It's good. It I, more conversational, but we're so passionate about it, and it's so difficult to sort of stop from going off on tangents, isn't it? Yeah. And you're absolutely right in, in saying that we're being very political. Um, uh, we, I, I know I am being very political. I think we've both made it very clear where we stand in terms of. <laughs> um, uh, our leanings. Um, I'm probably a little bit more extreme than Melanie because I'd kind of define myself as an anarchist. So. Oh no, I'm a total anarchist. Are yeah, you kidding? I don't. I don't believe in government at all. Like. Yeah, fuck the system. No. I'll, I'll work with the system. The system is what we have. But yeah, if if it were just to like, if we could just stop the system <laughs> and yeah. just try something new from the ground up, that's where I'm. Have that's I ever told? I, I want communicative communicative democracy is what I want, which is basically like where tri- it's kind of like tribes. Basically, you live in smaller communities and everybody within that community at some point has to act as a representative for their community. So you're all trained from like a child that at some point you're going to be called into, let's say, a metaphorical big tent. And that's where all the decisions are going to be made for a set amount of time. And you're going to be part of that for a set amount of time. And then it will be rotated out. And the way that people come to um, decisions is to have a fucking conversation about it as equals. Everyone gets their point across. Everyone gets to say something. And you compromise. And you make something that makes everybody happy. Because if you argue properly in terms of, you know, bringing out your point in a non-defensive, non-aggressive manner, people are more likely to take your ideas on board and mush them up with their ideas and exactly. come up with something. So my my perfect government, if you want to call it a government, is called a communitative democracy. And in order for that to work, communities need to be smaller. And I know that, and that's why anarchy, because anarchy is not meaning that you go around burning all the buildings down and chopping off the heads of senators. It means that there's no centralized government there's no one party political rule there's no totalitarian bullshit there's no fascists there's nothing like that everything is just smaller fascists they're in their own tribe and they they (laughs) in their tribe and fuck Um, those guys we can go into the complex <laughs> if you like, because you can have communities of murderers, I suppose. Don't go to murder town, because that's where all the murderers live. <laughs> the the uh, clue is in the name. That'd be the that'd be an American like tribe right there. 
Murder town. Murder town. <laughs> Try not to get here. murdered. <laughs> the whole point of life here is to live it as long as possible because somebody's <laughs> trying to murder you. Someone might murder you in any moment. Yep. Yeah, no, murder totally. Town. <laughs> totally. It's I'm, legal I'm, here. I'm an anar I'm a liberal anarchist is mm-hmm. is where I sit. And uh, so I do what I can. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no. I know. And our our dream won't exist as we would like it to. So, you know, I, just... I like that that was how the Iron Age was, the Iron Age of Britain. Yeah. yeah. And then these damn <laughs> these damn Saxon Saxons came over here and fucked it all up. Sons they of wanted bitches. a goddamn kingdom. We don't want kingdoms. Community <laughs> democracy. Tribes. <laughs> so Y2K. <laughs> oh, oh, there was lots of really cool fashion. Yes, I was looking at that. <laughs> Y2K fashion. Somehow that came up on my, my Google searches as well. It's like, oh. Yeah, wow, that's flooding back to me real hard. <laughs> like, uh, so many t-shirts with circuit boards made into bugs and saying Millennium Bug. Or, like, I don't know, things like surfing on computer chips that was like, Millennium! And, <laughs> the um, amount of crop tops, too. Ugh. <sighs> crop tops are back. I know. It's weird. Maybe it's just because I'm, like, all belly, so I'm just like, no. I'm actually wearing a crop top under my Star Trek hoodie today. Uh, I want to see your Star Trek hoodie. I can't see. (laughs) The emblem? Nice. Nice. I've only only got um, yellow. It should be gold, really, but I've only got yellow for data. I wouldn't usually get command. I'd definitely do science, but um, data wears gold, so I wear gold. Yeah. I'm in the cult. I'd be in command. Okay, anyway. So, like I said, my bit is super, super tiny, and you've already done a couple of them because you're a monster. I am. Uh, (laughs) You're fine. So, but what we actually feared with Y2K, what would actually happen, what we feared, was that, one, banks would collapse, and that would mean no access to our money. People were emptying out their bank accounts to make sure that they would have cash come the apocalypse. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Number two. We had a fear that the, our utility systems would fail, such as government records, water, electricity, things like that, leading to complete chaos. Number three, elevators, planes, trains, satellite, everything electronic would all cease functioning, and a large char- and large chunks of metal and screaming bodies would fall out of the sky. Elevators would plummet to the B level. Trains would run off their tracks, destroying everything in their path. Uh, number four, food and ga- food, gas, and gun shortages. As we all scramble to survive in a world without electronics, the gun sales were crazy. Just like with right now with COVID, the gun sales are fucking crazy. My uh, my boyfriend, he goes to Burbank. You know, he works out in Burbank, and he has to drive by this gun shop. And almost every day, there's a line around the block, which is terrifying. Um, and then, of course, the big one. The government systems would crash and every nuke, missile, and biological weapon would be released and unleashed simultaneously, destroying us all. That was the one that I had my eyeball on. That was the one that scared me. Everything else, I'm like, no, it's fine. I can survive zombies. It'll be fine. 
I mean, I can say, like, now looking back that I knew that, and I did know that, but I just don't remember that, I don't remember being afraid of that. Like, I I only remember thinking, oh, the internet's going to crash. Like, I don't think, I don't think that I was a very scared child. I think that I experienced a trauma around the age of 14 that made me anxious. Like, because something about, like, well, no, I might have been in the wrong, but something about, like, my childhood or whatever, I don't remember being particularly anxious or scared. That comes later, like, with puberty or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I... I do remember knowing these things and knowing that that was going on. I remember the the people queuing up for cash. I I think I vaguely remember my parents making sure they had cash before. Yeah, I think and... I my my parents doing that too. Yeah. yeah, it's only smart actually. This if you go in to just go get fifty dollars out just to make sure you've got cash for a day or so after if the computers do crash, that's actually a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, imagine if the banking system crashed tonight. Like everyone would be skint because we do everything on our cards or even I, on our phones. I always have cash, like because I don't trust banks. <laughs> oh, okay, good. I don't ever have cash. Wow, Melanie, you're really bucking the trends. <laughs> I use I've my always phone. Been like that. I've, uh, you know, it's I still I use my bank, but um, for most of my life up until maybe about by the time I had kids, but before that, I always just cashed my checks. I'd much rather have the cash in hand than uh, uh, put it in a bank. (laughs) You could probably see it diminishing better. Oh, yeah. The the metaphor of it is a lot more significant than watching a a dial go to zero. No, I I literally use my... Pull out like $10 for your day, and that's your your allowance for that day. It's it's very smart. Um, But, yeah. (laughs) I also remember being really sad because my dad wasn't there. And I was like really scared that if something did happen, I'd never see my dad again. Mm-hmm. That was that was another fear. That's the difference between me and you. You were a very scared child. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, the apocalypse genuinely does shake me. So anytime, even when there was that dumb uh, rapture thing that happened in 2000, was it 2012? Was it 2012? No, 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 no. It was before my and kids. The, the, not the Mayans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was genuinely kind of scared. I'm like 90% of me knew nothing was going to happen, but there's still that like little bit that's going, shit. What if it actually happens though? Because I mean, it's because I'm just so uh, spiritual or something. I'm just sort of like, it could be something I just don't believe in. That is what everything got tapped into. The media taps into that that little voice because everybody has it. It is our primal instinct to survive. There's always going to be that voice that goes, but what if? So you mm-hmm. always prepare for those instances because that's how humanity has survived it's something beautiful about us because we've always been able to overcome our this particular version of humanity has beat the odds if you will and become the dominant species on the planet by listening to that little voice yeah the one time in a hundred that it's right because you listen to it every time so the voice that uh sorry that little voice that's going but what if the world ends was preparing you not maybe psychologically for something that might happen like because then you can at least say to yourself well i kind of knew this was going to happen this isn't a total shock yeah, um, yeah and i'm somewhat prepared so the media taps into that little voice they still do it now um and they tap into other voices like the ones that say that um oh i'm a piece of shit because i don't look like everybody else 
Yeah. Um, it taps into that little voice as well and goes, yes, you're ugly, but if you buy my products, you will become pretty and yeah. like everybody else. So the, those little voices that, and the reason why that's there is because um, we would be competing for mates. Yeah. And, you know, so these sorts of, th- these these primal um, voices are are really really easy to manipulate and to control because they are they're kind of they're primal they're primal yeah. so well, yeah, they even, don't even think going, about things <laughs> even going back to the um conspiracy theory episode that whole like that stick could be a snake so i'm gonna walk around it just in case yeah exactly kind of, kind of mentality 99 yeah, times that's... it was a it was it was a stick but that one time that it wasn't a fucking stick and was a snake confirmed your fear that every so often it's a snake so that means you're always going to be cautionate around sticks that's fine exactly exactly that's what this whole thing is about it's tapping into that fear this this little if you want you can call it a primal instinct or you could call it like your inner child or you could call it your your pure essence or your spiritual voice your third eye your your intuition intuition yeah. yeah, could be any of those things, but basically it's all there for people to exploit and people yeah. exploit it. So to wrap up my bit, um, I do have a couple of other things that actually happen. Some of them are a bit sillier. Um, so and some not so silly. So there was also like a US spy satellite that stopped working for three whole days. Oh. Um, which was really frightening to the government for a minute. Uh, you know, ultimately, they were able to gather whatever they needed, whatever spying that they lost, they lost. But it ended up not being a huge problem. But there was still just like, this is this is bad. If this doesn't sort itself out soon, then this we're, we're really boned. So that was that was kind of interesting. Um, there was the New York man who was charged over ninety one thousand dollars for renting the movie. He got a free rental out of it, though. So that was mm. nice. Um, the very first baby born in the year 2000 in Denmark was registered as 100 years old. And um, in November of 1999, NBC aired a really, really awful looking movie that I'm very excited to watch called Y2K the Movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my and God. I, How did I not come across this? I don't know, but I'm so excited because that is definitely on my watch list now. I think it's on YouTube. <laughs> I am so excited. I explosions just... so many explosions scientists like good you have to listen to me it's oh god i'm so stoked so yeah no uh, the only thing that this inspired me to watch was blast from the past with brendan oh, Fraser. yeah <laughs> yeah well and it was funny the first thing that came into my mind when i'm thinking uh y2k is there's this really great zombie book called the rising um mm. by brian Keane, and it's not even about y2k but it's basically it the book starts with this guy who's hiding in his underground bunker. His his pregnant wife has turned into a zombie and is like milling around their their backyard. He's got like a little periscope going up and he can kind of look at her. But for the record, really great zombie book because these zombies, instead of being like mindless, um, shambling, whatever, they're actually um, possessed. So when the periscope goes up, the zombie wife comes down and she goes, hey, meat, how you doing, baby? And it's just totally messing with his mind. But the whole time he's in his Y2K bunker that him and his wife had built together for Y2K. Mm. So that's it, it. That's what always my mind goes to. And I always want to read that book again because of it. It's a really great part of that book, too. <clears throat> so yeah, you, you listen to Zombie Fishbowl, you get all sorts of recommendations. I think we've been on about 
uh, I don't know, so many things. So there's a book recommendation for you there. If you like zombies and you want like 10 pages that involve uh, being in a Y2K bunker, it's a great book. Right. Um, but also, seriously, watch that Leonard Nimoy thing. I learned okay. a lot. I learned uh-huh. a lot. Leonard Nimoy Y2K. Yeah. And also, he, what's the movie that called? Fear? Um, Y2K the movie. Y2K the movie. <laughs> yes. But, um, so the Leonard Nimoy thing, I learned a lot. Like, I guess, um, uh, oh, what am I forgetting? Government agency begins with an F. Uh, FEMA? And- FEMA. Was putting out recommendations for things that you can do if all the power goes out and all utilities go out. And they were suggesting, uh, trash bags to be used for toilets. Um, and in the Leonard Nimoy video, you have this one guy and he goes, no, 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 you don't do that. You're just, it's a breeding ground for disease and bacteria. And it's just going to make everything worse. If you're going to do it, get a, a, um, chemical toilet or, you know, store some water to store specific water just for your toilet water and store your water just for your drinking water and don't get them mixed up. And it was, it was great. I learned a lot of little survival, survival things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely was there stoking the fear, but it was mostly about telling you um, practical ways to move through this if the worst case scenario happens. Survivalist. Yeah. Oh, God, the survivalist movement in Y2K was massive. Yeah, I think I might have started it. Yeah. No, they were doing no, it in the no. 50s. No, yeah. they were doing it for, like, the the Cold, Cold War. War and everything. Yes, and so, you know, when you say something and as soon as it was out of your mouth, you're like, no, that's, that's not a fact. <laughs> but uh, but it, uh, during, you know, the year 2000 or 1999, really, you know, we had Internet access. So there was, like, REI, there were food rations. There was just a greater access to, like, military-grade um protective gear also people were still quite scared because there was at the time um quite a country of um already quite scared people like um i'm trying to think like you know columbine was pretty close to the millennium um you know so there was like heightened security and police presence in schools it's kind of like there was like an overall national tension oh yeah yeah um well and and that was when the news was starting to become full-time news so before i want to say 90 yeah i want to say like 98 and before you had your news pretty much like morning and night maybe like an afternoon thing but it was the late 90s uh and the 2000s where you started having news stations all day long nothing but news where you could just sit there and watch news from morning till night non-stop so they had to sensationalize everything to keep you tuned in and that as well there'd just been a president impeached but was still in office yes he was was. (laughs) same thing again yeah. Oh my god, you guys. Y2K it's all over again. again. Oh my god. <laughs> Except this was lasting a really fucking long time. Yeah. And people are actually dying. <laughs> and the world is dark. No! Okay, it's gonna be a <laughs> Is it? Okay. It uh... will. It will. Because I say so. God damn it. It'll be okay. Just gonna survive finish. Y2K. We can survive this somehow. I it's just want to. 
I just want to finish Star Trek first, if you guys are yeah, listening right. out there. In... Yeah, just let me get I just want to finish Trek. it all. Let me get all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm about five or six episodes off the end of Deep Space Nine. I mean, I will, you know, I'll hurry up if you want me to, but just let me watch the rest of it. Yeah, I just want to watch the rest of it and then TNG one more time all the way through. And then... Then we can do what we gotta do. But no ending the world until all of my Star Treks have been watched. <laughs> That's all I ask. Please. please. <laughs> um, do you have more stories, or do you want to try to? to no, wrap that's it up? that's pretty much it. Was, we went all over the place with this one. We but, sure uh, did. <laughs> I, I feel all right. I feel good about it. It was a ride, baby. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Um, it was always going to be. I I thought it would. I thought the topic itself itself would be quite fun. Uh, it wasn't fun. It was instead incredibly depressing. And I literally mean this when I say it. Um, I did my write up on this uh, day before yesterday, and it left me in a really negative place. I was like, I hate people. I hate. Yeah. People. I hate people. I don't want to leave the house anymore. But you know. It just, it is what it is. It is what it is. But uh, we we shall all endeavor to to make our own small differences. Be the better person. Be the change you want to see. If you want things to change, you have to change first. And wear a fucking mask. Yeah. Yep. And Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter. God damn it. All right. Um, How about we pick a topic, hopefully a lot more cheery. Sorry, that laugh was weird. I'll cut it out. Um, no, it was a good laugh. <laughs> um, yeah, let's all shit on your laughter. <laughs> Sound like Betty Rubble. You know it. Mm. Betty Rubble is super hot. I suppose so. Her head and her ass are the same size, and then the rest she, of her body is tiny. She's a cartoon. She's got Betty bangs and a kick and waist. So you know, that's all I'm asking. Okay. Do you want me to sing, or shall we just listen to your daughter sing? Hey, Willow. Come here. Can you sing a very short song using only the words random topic picker? I don't. Just say, like, random topic picker, random topic picker. You do that. No, no, you do it. Come on. Random topic picker. Random topic picker. You're a random topic picker, and you're gonna pick a topic. And you're gonna pick a topic. Yeah. Thanks, Mimi. Oh, Melanie. Yes? Melanie. Yokai! <gasps> no! No way. Really? What? Yes. <gasps> oh, I am the happiest mama <laughs> ever! What? Our next topic is yokai, baby, and it's my favorite thing in the world! We're so excited! Okay, sorry. Oh wow. my god, I'm so excited. Thank you for singing our song. Thank you, Willow. You're welcome. <laughs> Shit, yeah, yokai. Yokai. Oh my god. Well, a little bit more cheerful. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> Mel- Melanie's vibrating um currently. Sorry. It's 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 literally other than my children like my favorite thing in the world. So <laughs> I am very very pleased. Okay. Very pleased. Shall I do a quote? Give us a we'll quote. Go. Okay. This is the quote that I put up in my window 
during the global BLM protest. And it addressed how I acknowledged that I too had been part of the problem and that I needed, and what I needed was to learn and grow. It is by the, Ameri the amazing Maya Angelou, and it has had various incarnations, but this is the one that I went with. Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. It is a call out to people to change what they do when they learn something and that we should be doing our best at every step of the way. It doesn't blame you for not knowing better, but it puts responsibility on your shoulders once you do. And it doesn't say it makes you a better person. It's simply an instruction. Do better when you know better. Yeah. It also doesn't put an end point to it. It is constant and you should be doing it every day until you fucking die. Yes. Yes. It's awesome. That's a good yeah. quote. That's a great I, way to end it. Yeah. There's hope if you change. Yeah, exactly. But we're preaching to the choir, Melanie. I know. I know. But this is why I have, you know, so I doubt we can edit this out, but this is why I have conversations with people who I, I do not agree with because I end up not even so much changing their minds, but giving them new things to learn. And because I'm coming at them from a place of love and from genuine concern and not a place of berating them, they take that knowledge and do grow with it. Um, so conversations are important to have, even if they suck and, and they're hard and they, they could, you know, spiral out of control. It's up to you to make sure it doesn't spiral out of control. Be better, be the better person and, just spread knowledge and good vibes, man. Yeah. And also, you know, when someone tells you something that you didn't know before, take that shit on. Like, yeah. that information. Like, don't yeah. just bounce and, it back at people, especially when it's their can't... experience and their, 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 their view of life. You can't change that. You can't, that's not their opinion. That is their life and how they, how they experience it. So you can't just go, nope. No, you have to learn. You have to yeah, say and if somebody gives you information that you didn't know, also don't take that as fact. Take it as something to look into because then you you get a better story of what that fact actually is. Like, oh, no, this person told me uh, this. That doesn't mean it's fact. That means that's something you should look into to grow with. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I think I was being more specific about, like, people telling you when you've offended them or people saying oh, something yes. like that. Like, that's the kind of thing. I should be more specific about that. So, like, information, data, facts being spouted at you. Definitely fact check. Don't just eat up every little thing you think. But what I mean is that when somebody turns on and says to you, um, actually, that's a really, like, fat phobic thing to say. And my whole life, that's hurt my feelings. And I have only just now got the courage up to tell people that I I think that that's really offensive and people shouldn't say it anymore. And if then you turn around and go, oh, get over yourself. You're a terrible person. Yeah. yeah. Instead, you yeah. should say, oh, shit. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to offend you. I will change and I will not make jokes like that anymore or whatever it is that somebody has said or whatever mm -hmm. it is that people, have, you know, it goes both ways. So you can communicate for yourself. And advocate for yourself when somebody says or does something offensive, especially right now when someone says something racist or something like that. Speak up and say something. And then also, if somebody says something to you and calls you out on your shit, you have to take it as well. Exactly. So, you know, there's been there's going to be plenty of instances where people tell me through the course of my research and writing my dissertation that I'm being a white savior. They're going to accuse me of... Um, 
you know, virtue signaling, things like that. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to I'm going to try to find out how I can still make the points that I want to make without falling into those tropes, because yeah, I just don't. using a different language. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I will change the way that I communicate and work to make things work for all of us together, because I'm a person that genuinely wants us all to get along, not argue and get down each other's throats. Ultimately, the reason why I'm so depressed and the reason why I'm so angry is because I care so much about everyone. Yeah. If I didn't care about people, if I didn't have empathy, if I didn't give a shit about anything but in my own life, I wouldn't be angry and I wouldn't be so frustrated with things. I'd be quite happy because the world is pretty much a selfish place at the moment. So, you know. Um... Ignorance is bliss. But say. yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, just you know, guys, we know that you are good people because you listen to the zombie fishbowl. <laughs> so you know, um, yeah. Just uh, uh, I'm making a lot of noises. <laughs> so, if you like this episode. <laughs> If you have any topics you want us to talk about in the future, if you hated this episode and want us to get off of our high horses, feel free to tell us that too. We, you, know, you know, obviously it it would make us cry, but it's okay. We'll take it. Don't we'll be a jerk about it though. Yeah, yeah. We'll know that you're listening. So yeah. um, if you like this, if you didn't like it, if you've got topics, if you just want to tell us how pretty you are, hit us up on our Facebook or Instagram or our Twitter at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We are easy enough to find. Also, hit us up on our email, uh, zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. It's the best place to go to submit topics, but literally we'll take them from anywhere. Also, spread the words. Tell your sister, your cat, your dog, your goldfish, your nanny, your Zoom companions. All of them. Spread the word. We need more listeners. I need more flesh. Um, yeah. And leave us reviews. We like that, too. Yeah. It feels sexy. On my body. Nice. Yeah. So, um, I will see. we will see you next time with some goddamn yokai. <gasps> <laughs> we'll just leave it there. I'm so excited.